we're in the middle, middle of a series uh, called Big Faith, and we actually, as we start this morning, just passed the center of that series. We're talking today about a word called, we use the word discipline, and uh, that's a horrible word to talk about today, isn't it? Discipline, the word discipline. I mean, it's kind of like a dirty word. It's the D word, discipline. You know, it's a really bad word because, um, let me give you a definition of discipline. Discipline is, uh, my def- definition of discipline is discipline is things you're supposed to do that you don't want to do, right? Uh, let me give you a list of some of those things that you um, <laughs> supposed to do but don't want to do. You got, you know, you're supposed to eat less. You're supposed to eat healthier. You're supposed to exercise. You're supposed to save more money. You're supposed to spend less money. You're supposed to uh, stay on a budget. Uh, you're supposed to spend more time with your wife and kids or husband or whatever. Uh, you need to find more time for yourself. Those are all the things you're supposed to do, right? Uh, the reality is, is that not all those things always happen. I mean, the list can go on and on and on in regard to the things that we would consider disciplines, things that we need to have habitual in our life. And, you know, the thing that's true about this as well is that uh, I could preach a whole series just on these specific things that I've just mentioned, and I could make you feel horrible. Uh, I mean, I could, uh, I don't, in fact, no matter how disciplined you are, no matter how disciplined you are, I could just keep pushing further and further and further along the way. And uh, all of you would finally go, well, I'm such a big loser because I'm not that good, you know. So uh, discipline is something that, that we don't like to talk about a lot. But, um, but the thing is, is so often in life we meet people who are disciplined, right? And, and they kind of give us, we have two kind of views about people that are disciplined. One is that uh, we, they inspire us. Sometimes they inspire us, people that are disciplined. On the other hand, sometimes you want to kill them. And uh, that's the other side of people that are disciplined. I mean, isn't that true? Because somebody new comes into the office at work, and or they jog by your house every morning. It's it's six a.m. Or, or, or you know, and, and you're out there, and you're trying to wake up, get in the newspaper or something like that. If you still do that, and uh, and and they're going, "Good morning," and you know, and they're all peppy. Don't you hate people that are peppy at six a.m. in the morning? I mean, you know, what's what's going on with them? And 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 their, and their ringtone on their phone is, you know, is. Uh, Farrah Williams song, Happy, you know, and it's just like, you know, it comes on and it just drives you crazy, you know. We kind of have that kind of deal going on in life. So, you know, for some of you, there might be an offensive side of discipline for you. Um, and all of us, you know, different times in our life, um, if I ever hit on the thing in your life that you should be doing, but you're not doing, you're going to like, yeah, I know we should be doing that, but you don't do it anyway. Uh, it's just stuff you're supposed to do. So discipline is, is an interesting word. The interesting thing about discipline is this, though, is that things often start, things that often start uh, as a discipline can, can, can sometimes become pleasant habits. It can become good habits in our life. Sometimes they can become hobbies. Sometimes they can become addictions or obsessions as well. That starts as a discipline, something that at first, you know, we're supposed to do it, but we didn't really want to do it. Do we have any people here that are, uh, uh, that are, that are runners or cyclists? Bicyc- uh, bicycle people? Bicycle. Bicycle people. I, can't, I told you it's on drugs. Okay, anything I say weird this morning, I just blame it on drugs. Okay, raise your hand again. I mean, all of you that are runners and cyclists, raise your hand. You got plenty of energy. You know? Uh, okay, okay. Now, the thing for you, some of you, you probably started doing the running or you probably started doing the cycling. Why? Because you wanted to do it as a discipline. You disciplined yourself to do that. And after a while, it became some of you are obsessed with it. 
I mean, you're obsessed with it. I mean, the only reason, uh, matter of fact, you know, I just kind of figured this out myself, a cyclist in particular, um, you know, why would anyone go around dressed like that? You know, I just really don't know. You know, I mean, and that's why I think you do it in groups most of the time when I see cyclists, they're in groups, you know, because who would else dress like that except in a group? You know, it's kind of, I can make fun of you because I don't do it uh, for good reason. And and so, um, oh well. Um, (laughs) So things that start off just as sheer discipline sometimes become an obsession. Some people are health conscious. Some people, uh, it started off as a discipline, I'm not going to eat sugar, or I'm not going to eat wheat, or I'm not going to eat dairy or whatever, and then it becomes an obsession. Uh, now it's like a lifestyle thing for you. Uh, many things that, that began that way, that began just as disciplines, uh, that you've gutted out in a sense, you actually enjoy. It's kind of the same thing with music. Any of you uh, grow up and your parents made you practice music? Anybody here had your parents made you? Only three of you? We're not, oh, there's a few over here too, thank you, okay. You know, some of you, your, your parents made you practice music, you know, and some of you today are still, maybe still playing. I mean, you actually started liking it after a while, especially if you played the guitar or the piano. Now, other instruments, I'm not really sure. I don't know too many people that kind of keep the tuba going too long in their life, you know, or something like that later on after they get out of high school or something. But, you know, many of you started because your parents made you do something, have, you know, lessons or whatever like that. It became this discipline that you did on a regular basis, something that you were supposed to do but you didn't want to do, and it became something that you love doing now. And that's, I'm glad we have people like that because we wouldn't have a band if, uh, if, if, par- if parents hadn't made people be disciplined enough to do the things that needed to be done. Um, now, many, many things that begin as disciplines can become pastimes and hobbies and things we enjoy. The other interesting thing, this is interesting I found about disciplines, is that disciplines always result, at least they generally always result in progress. If you're doing a discipline in your life, you usually progress in whatever you're disciplined and you're doing it, even though you might not be real happy about it. I mean, and the interesting thing is uh, sometimes you can have progress in a discipline even if you have a bad attitude. You know, sometimes, I mean, if you have to practice piano, if you have to practice guitar, if you have to go out and run, you go, I mean, not everybody, you know, is real perky in the morning when they go out and running or, or, or cycling or whatever, but you, you make progress in it as, as well. I mean, if you do something just out of sheer discipline and you don't want to do it because you have a bad attitude, there is still progress many times or most of the time in that discipline area. And in many areas, discipline, what it also does for us, it results in freedom especially if you're disciplined with your finances. It results in freedom in your life. It results in freedom later on. In fact, in fact discipline, um, a discipline uh, excuse me, uh, can be defined another way. Uh, somebody ta- I heard this before, that basically discipline is doing what you don't want to do now so that you can do what you want to do later. Dave Ramsey kind of says that in Financial Peace, uh, in a sense. And it's really, in essence, discipline is all, all about delayed gratification. Instead of gratifying myself now or my desire, I'm going to have something to show for later. That's what discipline is. But basically, going back to where I, we started this morning, basically this. Discipline, it comes down to I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do even though I don't really want to do it. So often, that's what a discipline is. So, now what's the reason we're talking about this this morning? Why are we talking about disciplines? Because in this series, we talked about catalysts, things that God uses in our life to grow our faith. Uh, so far in our series, we've talked about a couple of catalysts he's used. We talked a couple of weeks ago about practical teaching. Practical teaching is the catalyst that God uses that so often when we hear people's faith stories, what happens is they tell their story and it talks about, they talk about being in an environment where somebody opened God's word in a practical kind of way. 
And when by doing that, people uh, began to understand and grow in their faith. Another thing we talked about last week was providential relationships. In providential relationships, uh, when we hear faith stories almost every time, when people refer to their faith story, that we always, always refer to somebody that came into their life at a specific time that helped them to grow beyond where they are, that challenged them in some area of their life. And we talked about la- that last week as well. And today we're going to talk about a third of these catalysts. We've got two more after this week. A third of these catalysts. Today we're going to talk about a, a thing that so often God uses is, is called private disciplines. Private disciplines. The thing that you always, um, uh, we, we always hear about when we hear faith stories is certain things that, that happen in people's life. I've heard so often that the people's faith grow, for instance, when they start learning how to pray. When they start learning how to pray, more than just emergency prayers. Emergency prayers are God, God help me, you know, that's kind of an emergency prayer. But when you start sitting down with God and starting learning from God and start praying, it grows people's faith. And in another area that we're going to talk about today as well, that people talk about that it really stretches their faith as well, is in the area of money. In the area of money, the people learn over time how to give, and giving for almost every person I've ever met who is a Christian, um, giving began as kind of a gut-wrenching, sheer discipline in their life. You know, it wasn't like a joyous to start off with. You know, it was really something we were supposed to do. I know I'm supposed to give. I know I'm supposed to be generous. I know Jesus did so much for me, and the preacher said Jesus died for my sins, so at least I'm going to give him a dollar. You know? But uh, the reality is, uh, there's not a lot of, at first, there's not a lot of cheerful giving in regards to in our Christian walk. But when you talk to people about their faith journey, time and time again, you're going to hear a story. And again, if you were to tell your story, part of that story is when you began to develop a rich, personal, devotional time with God and when you, when you began to see, and we're going to talk specifically about this today, how faith, how your faith began to intersect with your finances and how you began to view that in a different way. Now, to calm you this morning, because I mentioned the word money and giving, this is not a giving sermon, okay? This is not about, we're not going to start another campaign. We got one kind of going already, but we're not going to start another campaign. We're not going to have a special offering or launch a campaign campaign today, so you can just relax now. Just let you know that, okay? Thought I'd say that before we go any further. That's better, right? But I am going to talk about money, okay, and how God uses that in a specific way. When we talk about the money part today, what we're going to talk about, and what I want you to listen to specifically, and I may forget to say this later when we look into the text, so I don't want to forget this. So let me say this. The interesting thing about what Jesus says about these private disciplines is that it has more to do in, the context, in, in this context as we talk about it today with our faith than how it benefits anybody else. It has more to do with how it benefits our faith than anybody else. When it comes to giving, if you're like the average American, you know what the average American does? Giving is basically a trigger response to when you see a need. That's what the average American does. It's a trigger response. You see a need, uh, and, and I see a need, I'm going, to, I'm going to give. I see a need, I'm going to give. I don't see a need over there, I'm not going to give anything over there. This isn't about that. This is not what this is talking about today. This isn't about helping anybody else. This is about these very specific disciplines, as we're looking at this passage of Scripture today, uh, that through the, through the lens of what God does for uh, us, and it's about how God grows our faith, through giving, through prayer, and other things as well today. And, it, and so, <clears throat> excuse me, this morning, uh, if, the, if these things I'm talking about today are not a part of your lifestyle, uh, if these are not disciplines that you've developed, 
And I can guarantee you, you're sitting around people, some people who would say that it began as a discipline, giving and praying. And the other thing we're going to talk about today, um, it began that way, but now people are saying, I know you're sitting around people that are here today who are saying this, you know, I can't imagine viewing and handling my finances any other way than what I know now. After doing this and God challenging me and growing my faith in this, it is pure joy, but it began as just a decision to follow God's plan, as a discipline to put one foot in front of the other. Now, um, as you listen to these things today, as we talk about, um, one of the things that so often I know people do, I know y'all guys do this too, is you like to argue with the speaker in your head, right? None of you do that. Never, Freddie. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> I owe Freddie a couple of them anyway. But um, the, the re- reason is this. Um, what I'm hoping you'll do this, I don't want you to argue with me because I'm simply going to tell you that when I read this text, I don't like it either. Okay? Just up front. Okay? And I hope you'll argue with the text and not with me. Uh, because you can argue with me, but you can't argue with the text today as we look at what we're going to be talking about today. Because I'd rather you wrestle with the Bible than with me. See, the other thing I want you to think about today is if you find yourself resisting what the Bible is saying today as we look at some verses in just a moment, I want you to pay attention to that because I think it's important, especially in the context of these verses, to recognize in your heart what you're resisting. What are you resisting? Because faith, let me just say, use it this way, faith in a sense, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, faith is like a muscle. And the more you exercise a muscle... Basically, what you try to do is you try to wear our muscle out, break it down so it can be built back up. That's what God does when our fa- with our faith. He, he takes and he, he works in our life and, 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 he, and, we, and he wrestles with us in regard to faith. God takes us places that maybe will exhaust our faith. But after that, after that exhausting time, you've heard of people saying, well, God stretched my faith. You've heard that before as well, that phrase. Well, the same idea is that God stretches or exhausts your faith in order to build it. And so that's what he wants to do through these. And this is why today I picked this passage to talk about. And the passage we're going to talk about today, if you have your Bibles, is in Matthew chapter 6. I said all of that to get to the passage today, but it's important to understand some context here today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. We're just going to look at six verses in Scripture today and talk about Jesus as he talks about things that we call private disciplines. Private disciplines. And if you have a a bulletin, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you right there or your smartphone app or your iPad or whatever you use to read the Bible. Um, uh, you can uh, also in the bulletin today, there's an outline that has some of these, these texts in there as well. Now, Jesus is teaching. Now, why is that important when we read the Bible? I mean, all the Bible's important, right? But when Jesus says something, we should really take it seriously. Why? Well, because he's Jesus, okay? You know, it's kind of, that's the deal. You know, he's Jesus, the Son of God. And so this is what Jesus is saying, okay? So some of these words may be a little disturbing for some of us, and, that's okay, and it doesn't, maybe doesn't really fit your worldview or your experience in life, but just relax and let God work us over a little bit as it relates to some of this. Okay, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. He says this, the first two words. Be careful. He kind of sets this up for the discussion. He says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness. Now, what does that mean? Acts of righteousness. What's that? Well, the acts of righteousness are, in a sense, are his way of saying private disciplines. Private disciplines. And that will become clear in just a moment. He doesn't use the phrase private disciplines here. 
he uses the word acts of righteousness. They're kind of things that you do on your own privately. Uh, and then he says this, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen, to be seen by them. Why? Why don't we do them before men to be seen by them? Because he says there's something you're supposed to do in private. And it explains this a little more. He said then, in the next part of the verse, if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. He starts off by talking about, okay, this acts of righteousness thing. And he said, if you do these things publicly, you will have no reward. Uh, and he says, I'm, I'm going to talk to you. Jesus kind of sets up this conversation by saying, I'm going to talk to you about some very specific things. And these are private things. These are things that you do privately, not publicly. These are, now, you may do these publicly, but there's got to be a private element to them. That's what he's talking about here. And to do these things privately, if you do these consistently, your heavenly Father, he says, is going to see them. Now, Jesus is talking to individuals. This is quite amazing because your heavenly Father is going to see this. And what does it say he's going to do if he sees you doing these? This is the part I have a struggle with. He's going to reward you, okay? He's going to to reward you. And I'm going like, oh, see, if, if the idea of God rewarding you you find yourself going, I'm not doing this for reward. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, but God may reward you anyway. And you go, Bill, I'm not looking for a reward in doing any of these things. Well, that's fine. Jesus said that your heavenly Father will reward you as you participate in what he calls these private disciplines or what he calls these acts of righteousness. And then he gives us three in this passage. We're only going to deal with two today. And the first one we're going to deal with a lot more than the second one. And the third one I just want you to read when you go home because it's so convicting and probably you don't do it anyway. Maybe you need to read it and pray about it first before you do the third one, okay? But let's talk about this today. So he gives the first of these private disciplines here. He says this in verse 2. So when you give to the needy, he says, here's the first example of something you've got to do privately, okay? He says, when you give to the needy, he's talking about money, but specifically he's talking about something in that day that was called almsgiving, almsgiving. Have you ever heard of that before? Almsgiving, it was a thing, you've probably seen pictures of this in biblical movies, and there's the temple and all these people, the, the, the people that, are, that are, have all kind of physical infirmities are laying around outside the temple and whatever, and the people come up, and people are, you know, they're, they're begging for, for stuff, and so people are, see this, and, uh, and, and, they, and so people, and when they, they have some extra money, and they, just out of the mercy and tenderness of the hearts, they give money to the poor people. It wasn't a real systematic kind of giving, though, is the problem. Uh, this was basically just, I feel sorry for you, and I see a need. There's, here's some money. Here's, here's some more money. Okay. And this is not, let me, let me just hold on and say this, too, also about this. This is not, and now this is hard for us to really get a hold of, this was not the tithe. Okay? This was not the tithe. This was not the money that devout Jewish people automatically gave to the temple to support the temple and the priest and everybody in it. This was above and beyond that. Because the Jews in the first century, a devout Jew was already giving anywhere between 10 and 20% of their income into the temple. Uh, they got money to God. And basically the first century Jews kind of felt like it was like a tax. It wasn't required, but it was something that was very highly recommended. And so they already were giving a big chunk of their resources to the temple. But this is in addition to, he says, that when you feel a need to give, he says, uh, he, said, he said, don't do this. He said, don't do it. So when you feel, feel a need, uh, give to the needy, he says this. He says, this is how don't, don't do it. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. 
you're going, that's kind of weird. I mean, why would you give and announce it with trumpets? I mean, you could go around the church. Did we have a trumpets before the offering this morning as you gave it? No, we didn't do that. We don't believe that. Uh, it says, as, and he says this, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. And if you look at that verse, the reward that they have received is what? What is the reward they have received? I'm going to ask you lots of questions this morning. You don't have to say it out loud, but just think in your head. What is the reward they received? Honor. They received honor from people. People saw them. It it was kind of like here, you know, like they came and they saw somebody that was in need, and instead of just going over and quietly giving something to the person, what they would literally do is they'd make a big fanfare of it. They'd make a big show of it. Look, here, Bill's coming. Bill's coming. Look how generous Bill is. You know, and they do that, and, you know, people make a big deal, and I don't know if they blow actual trumpets and stuff, but they they do all this kind of crazy stuff, and, and, and people would go, wow. Look how generous he is, or she is. And Jesus says, okay, there's a reward associated with generosity. And they just got theirs. What was their reward? Their reward was they were honored by men. He said, don't do that. (laughs) He said, this is a private discipline. He says this. What he says in verse 3, he says, but when you give to the needy, when you give to the needy, not, what does it say? It doesn't say if. It says when. It's expected that the person who is a believer is going to give, give, be a generous person. And so what he says, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You're going like, I didn't know that was in the Bible. I mean, I've used that, that phrase in the business world somewhere. Uh-oh. Do not let your left hand uh, know what your right hand is doing. And, 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 so, and then he says this, he says, verse 4, so that your giving may be in secret, then your father who sees what is done in secret, he will do what? Okay, we can say it out loud. He, can, he will reward you, okay? He will reward you. Now, uh, now that uh, the problem is to see your father who recognizes what you're doing these other folks have already been recognized by people on the street, but when you, the Father, Heavenly Father sees or recognizes what you're doing in secret, it says he will reward you. Now, in this context, Jesus doesn't tell us what the reward is. He doesn't tell us what the reward is. But in other places, he kind of gives inclinations, uh, um, ideas about what it may be. But in this particular context, we would guess that part of the, re- the reward is honor by God. Uh, that, that just like those men who were honored by other men because people saw what they gave in the same way Jesus says, and here's, this is just an implication, when your heavenly father sees you give, he's going to honor you. Now, there's going to be a reward, and maybe it's not honor, maybe it is. I, I, maybe I'm just reading way too much into the text. I don't know because it doesn't say what it's going to be. But he says, if, as, as you give privately, and you privately fund the things that are close to the heart of God, God is going to do something with that, and he's going to give you some kind of reward. Now, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. This is a hard question this morning. Because these verses are about faith. They're not about giving. Let me ask you a question. This, this verse is not about just meeting needs of the poor. There are other passages that focus on that. This is about something different. This is about you and God the Father and this whole idea of rewards. So this is the question. What if you really believe the words of Jesus? What if you really believed 
the words of Jesus? What if you really believe that your heavenly father saw your private financial generosity and decided to honor and reward you because of it? Now, if you're saying, Bill, are you saying we're supposed to be give, we're supposed to give to be rewarded? No, that's not what I'm saying. I didn't bring that up. Jesus brought it up in this verse. I don't like it too much because it kind of goes against all my whole theology. But he said it, so it must mean something here. And so the question is what? Here's my question. What if you really believe that God sees what you do as you privately practice these disciplines, one of them being giving? What if Jesus does that and he says he rewarded? What if you really believe that Jesus saw how much and where you gave and how much you gave and how it impacted your whole financial world? And he went, oh, those people get it. You know, I'm going to reward reward her. I'm going to reward him. What if you really believe that? What if you really believe that? God did that. That's what the Bible says, right? That's what the Bible says. Now, let me say this. See, I would argue with you, and I would, I don't know you individually, I would argue that one of the reasons you're not more generous, that we're not more generous, is because you do not believe that. You don't believe that God's going to do anything with it. You don't believe, see, the issue is not money. The issue is your confidence or your faith in God. In fact, when you read the New Testament, when it talks about money, money is almost always a faith-believe-in-God issue because God doesn't need your money. You can leave it, you know, wherever. I'm going to leave it all here. What if you really, really believe that when you took your hard-earned money and you funded what God was doing all over the world through your church or through missions or through feeding the poor or however God gets your attention, what if you really believe God saw that and he decided he was going to reward that as you privately and personally and behind the scenes gave? What if you really believe that? Would it change the way you give? If you really believe that God really does that. Uh, you know, when, if you really believe there would be no, uh, you know, there would be no sense of, oh man, I don't want to write that check, or, or, or here comes the bucket. I mean, they're going to talk about money. I hope he doesn't talk about money again. All they want is money. All that angst that you feel about money, there would be none of that if you really believed, and if you really believed God saw it and rewarded it. It would be like, oh my gosh, here's another opportunity to give. And the reason you don't feel that way, the reason you don't feel that way is because you don't believe that God does that. That God's going to do something with it in a positive way. He wants us to do these private disciplines so that he can grow our faith. And here is why the private discipline of giving is such a faith thing. And you just talk to people who've been Christians for a while and people who are mature Christians and you ask them this question. Tell me how you view money and God and how the whole thing fixed, works together. And the reason it's such a faith issue is this. Listen. Let me see if I can explain this. All of us, all of us, all of you, whether you're Christian or you're Jewish or you're Muslim or anybody, it doesn't matter what religious background, it doesn't matter. Here's one thing we all have in common. There's one thing we all have in common. I found out all religious systems. Um, when it comes to God or the force or whatever you believe in, whatever is out there, however you believe it, it's okay. And I believe in a personal God, okay? And for argument's sake, let's just talk about a personal God here. I believe in personal God. When it comes to that, we all have perfect faith in one area of life. We do. We have perfect faith, 100% trusting God for everything that happens when? Right after we breathe our last breath. 
Because all of us, all of us, we're going, oh God, I can completely trust you for my eternity. Or God, somebody will say, well, whether it's heaven or limbo or purgatory or, or, or paradise, you don't know, all that stuff, or the pearly gates or clouds or angels or bliss or whatever. However you picture eternity, you're counting and trusting on God 100% the moment you take your last breath that he can, he's completely trustworthy. You do that. And you know the reason you trust God completely for that? It's because you have no other choice. You have no other choice. I mean, you could you know, just believe in nothing, but you want to believe in something, so you placed all your faith in a belief system in a real sense that, um, that, that, that says that there is something after this life, and so you've placed your, uh, your, your trust in that. Now, how much faith does it take to believe in something like that? Let's say we'll have three options. No, you don't have any options. You're going to die. And you're going to leave here, and there's something beyond that, and you placed your trust, your faith, in whatever it is you believe. You just hope that once you die, there's something out there, and there is somebody out there, and he's going to look at you and go, well, I'm glad you're here. Uh, this is really good. And, 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 and you're trying, if you're trying to be a good person or so good things will happen, or you put your trust in Jesus because you believe Jesus Christ died for your sins, or you're trying to be consistent, or trying to be one with the universe, or whatever it is that you're trying to do to get you to that place, and you're trusting in that plan, you're doing whatever you know to do because you are 100% trusting that whatever you're doing that happens after you take your last breath, you, you base your faith on that. That's one thing all of us do. No matter what religious system, we all have an end a game. Now, Here's what Jesus teaches in the New Testament. From your last breath back to now, from your last breath back through your life, he says this clearly throughout Scripture. Jesus says what you, you and I are trusting in the most is what? Money. We're trusting them. You know why he talked about it so much in Scripture? He talks about it constantly in Scripture. What you're trusting in most is your ability to control your environment and your circumstances through your wealth or the pursuit of wealth. That's what Jesus is teaching. So what this means is this. If the God who controls your eternity that you can't do anything about with anyway is a personal God, which we believe he is, and if he's invited us to call him Father, which Jesus references right here in these verses, and he wants you to trust him now, and he wants to teach you to trust him now, then wouldn't it make sense he would mess with the thing that you trust the most now so that in order for you to trust him more now? And if the thing you trust the most is money, guess what? He's going to mess with the money to help grow your faith. Jesus says that's why you can't serve God in money because your wealth and your money and your pursuit of money or your worrying about money or your anxiety about money and might as well does more to compete with our devotion to God than anything else. We live, I think you'll agree with this and look around, not just especially in America, anywhere. We live as if money is life. We live as if money is the air we breathe. I mean, if we don't have more of it, we're going to suffocate and die. That's how we live. Jesus taught all this, uh, all this that we worry more about money than anything else. It's like the foundation of what we place our confidence in. So Jesus comes along and he says, when he starts talking about how, the things he's going to use to grow our faith, he says this, you know, I want to teach you to trust me in this life, and I know you're trusting 
I, I, I know you're uh, trusting God for the life to come, but what choice do you have? You have no control over that. I want to teach you to trust me, and I want you to teach, me, teach you to trust me now. So I think I'll mess with the thing that you trust the most, your wealth, your money, your pursuit of wealth, uh, your desire for wealth, your anxiety about not having enough wealth. So here's what we'll do. I want you to trust me, and I want you to give me some of your money. I want you to do it up front before anything else. I want you to trust me with the thing that you place your greatest trust in because I want you to learn to trust me instead of your wealth. That's the, that's the reason for this, this discipline. I want you to trust me because if what you trust in, in most is your wealth, I want you to, your trust, then the only way to exchange, the only way to get in the driver's seat, God is saying, of what you're most confident in, and the only way to tr- uh, teach you to trust me is to mess with the thing that, you're tr- that you trust in now, which is your wealth. That's why money is a faith thing. That's why money is a faith thing. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, I guess something's going to happen in your life if it hasn't happened already. And you know what's going to happen? Eventually, God is going to come calling for your checkbook. He's going to do that. He's going to come calling for your checkbook. And it's not because he needs it, okay? Let me just tell you that up front. It's not because he needs it. It's not even because he wants it. It's because he wants to teach you to trust him, and and it's one of the things that he uses uh, where you have a choice in the matter. That's why learning... Percentage, priority, giving is something we talk about all the time here at Great Oaks. You know what that means? Percentage, priority, giving, it means like you give to God first, off the top. Then you save, and then what do you do? Financial peace people, live off the rest. That, in that order. It's not about giving God leftovers. God says, I want you to trust me. And so what you do right off the top end, he says, what I want you to do is I want you to give, save, and live on the rest. You give, save, and live on the rest. And you give a percentage. That is the way, that, that is your way in, in regard to this discipline of saying, God, I am more interested in investing in your kingdom than my own. And you know what? By doing that, I am trusting you more than I'm trusting myself and my wealth. It's a faith issue. Do you see that? What God uses in Scripture. And you know what? Jesus said it. You, you, you can read it yourself after you get upset with me by pulling out the scripture today. Um, and I understand this is emotional because money is so emotional, which is so strange. It, it, you know, why do we get all emotional about pieces of paper with dead presidents' pictures on? I mean, why do we really? It's because of what it represents, right? It's because of what it represents. It's just paper. It's because of what it represents. And Jesus knows you. God knows you. And he says, you know what? I know what that represents to you, so I'm going to mess with it because I want to play that role in your life. I want to be the conscious source of your security. I want to be the source of your trust. I don't want you to just trusting me. I don't want you just trusting me for after you take your last breath, not just for the end. I want you to trust me now. So I would like to make like to exchange some things. I would like for you to take on the role, take the role of your anxiety about your pursuit of your collection of and your thoughts about your wealth. It's not about your money. It's your faith, and I want to grow it big. If you will just trust me with it. Now, here's what I want you to pay attention for just a moment. Because the tension you've got this, you got you got this tension in our life about trusting God with our resources and, and trusting our resources as our as our sources of security. You've got to carve out a little space. It's, it's, a, it's a faith thing that God can do in your life. It's a faith issue. And even when you uncheerfully give and you do it in a disciplined way, 
you can begin to transfer your trust from your wealth to your heavenly father. You know, we don't always start off as cheerful givers, do we? It's a discipline. And Jesus says, you know what? Your heavenly father sees that, even if you're doing it uncheerfully, and guess what he's going to do? He's going to reward you. He's going to reward you. Then he moves on to the second illustration. You're going like, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Finally get out of the money thing, okay? Thank goodness. Verse, verse 5, he says this. A second thing. He says, and when you pray, and when you pray. Uh, he says, when you pray. Now he's going to talk about, he's talking about time. He's going to talk about time because, again, you know what he's, uh, who's got time to give God time? The reality is, I mean, I don't have anything. So often we think that prayer is just this unproductive thing. And we pray, and it's just about, un, it's about getting things happen because we want to make things happen, right, in our prayer life. But Jesus says this. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand, uh, pray standing in the synagogues and on the street quarters to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Once again, this whole thing of rewards. So now Jesus connects praying with rewards from your heavenly Father. And then in verse 6 he says, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will do what? He will reward you. Now Jesus, when he's talking about this kind of praying, is not talking about driving to, to work prayers. You know what those are? God help me. Help me do this. Help me do that. Do this. Do that. It's not this kind of, uh, kind of like as-you-go type praying. He's talk, talking about here about taking a piece of your time, which is your most valuable asset. I know you think that money is. I know I think that money is the most valuable asset. But what he's saying, I, I mean, you're going to, the reality is this. You're going to run out of time before you run out of money. Some of you don't think that way, but you're going to run out of time before you run out of money. We're going we're to do that. He said, I want you to take the most valuable asset, your time. And he's saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a piece of that, and I want you to devote it to me. But God, you don't know how busy I am. Well, God says, well, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that. You know, sorry about your schedule. Um, see, it's not about your money. It's not about your time. It's about your trust in God that he is there for us. And listen to what it says. Let's pray, look, read this verse again. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now think about this. When you go into your room and pray, Jesus said, now I don't know how this works, by the way. Uh, please don't ask me later. Uh, Jesus says your Heavenly Father, he some way sees this in a special light. Okay? Are you, you, know, and he, he, are you saying he doesn't see me when I pray running down uh, the highway 116 on my way to work? Yeah, he does, but for some reason, he's not saying it. He's, he's saying that, that this special time, that I set aside this special time with God, when I set it aside, there's no other distractions. He's saying, no, this is a, this, what's done in secret. He said, this is some kind of mystical special uh, time where I'm devoted a chunk of time to just me and God. Uh, and then and he said, then your father, who, when you do that, will sees what's done in secret and, uh, and then he rewards you. Well, he says, but you say, well, I'm not doing it for the reward. Well, good. It doesn't matter. He says he's going to reward you anyway. Are we trying to barter with God? No, no. There, there is something honoring, God says, about when you take a slot of your busy day and you say this. You go like, Lord, 
you know, if I were to have an emergency today, I would turn to you and say I'm dependent upon you, wouldn't we? If we had an emergency today, we'd probably all stop and pray. And he says, what I want you to do instead of doing that, I want you to take a slot of time when there's not an emergency, and I'm going to take a slot of time when the world isn't coming to an end, and when there's not 37 other things going on on my schedule, and I'm going to take a slot of time, and I'm just going to let you know how I realize how dependent I am on you, and I'm so dependent on you, I can't imagine starting any day, my day off in any other way than with a few minutes carved out for you. Now, I don't know what the reward is here, folks. I would guess this. The reward is, one of the things I've seen in life is uh, when I leave my uh, time alone with my Heavenly Father from this time, special time with God, I have this uncanny assurance that God is with me. Like I have at no other times. When I stop and focus my attention upon God and give Him some time, I have this assurance that God is with me through the rest of the time. Now, here's what I want us to land today as we close and we finish up. Some of these other things we talk about in big faith, as I said, things like, things like practical teaching. You can make yourself, you can, you can place yourself under practical teaching, but it's kind of like something that happens. Providential relationships, uh, you can place yourself in a place where you might can have a providential relationship, but you can't make it happen. But private disciplines, guess what? You can make those happen. You choose. You choose to put yourself in a place where you practice prayer, where you practice giving, and then let God work in your life to grow your faith. And you may have a really bad attitude, but you know what? Disciplines are beneficial even if you have a bad attitude. But God says, if you'll give a slice of your time and give a percentage of your money, you know what, you're, what he's saying? He says, that's an expression of, I trust you. I trust you, God, with my time. I trust you with my wealth. And here's what's going to happen. God's going to use that, that commitment you make. I believe according to his word. And he's going to use it to build your faith and to grow your faith if you'll just let him. So here's my challenge to you as we close. I would dare you. I would double dare you. Just for the next, if you don't already do this, if you don't already give regularly to God, if you don't pray regularly, I would dare you to just for the next 30 days, a month, give this a month, I would challenge you to give God your first few minutes and your first few dollars. Choose what it's going to be. Get up early in the morning. Go to a room where nobody else is around. Get on your knees. Do I have to get on my knees? Yeah, you know, nobody else sees you anyway, so if you look foolish, who cares, you know? Get on your knees before God and give him, give him the first few minutes of your day. And you're going like, well, you know, I don't know how to pray. What am I going to pray about? Well, I don't know. It's between you and God, you know? That's kind of the deal. You know, I mean, just tell God, I, I don't know what to pray about. All I know are emergency prayers, like help me and stop me and bless me. You know, that's all I know, but it, that's a good start. But God wants you to give, come before him and give him your most valuable asset first, your time. So I'll give you your first few minutes of the day, 
And then God, God is going to challenge you to give the first few dollars. I want you to learn to be a percentage priority giver. Because what it does, it's, it's, it's a discipline that we do in our life that helps us to learn to trust God. To trust God. And here's what's going to happen if you do that. You'll be like so many people that I know that when I hear their testimonies, they th- say things like, I can't imagine life without this in my life, my daily quiet time with God. I can't imagine what life is like and how I look at money differently now that I've begun to give regularly to God. And it's amazing what God will do through this very simple disciplines in our life if we'll just trust Him. The benefit is that your confidence in God will grow and your confidence in God will deepen and the sense of intimacy that you will experience with God will expand as he begins to edge into those things and take priority over them in your life, and as he begins to conquer the things that compete most for your devotion to him. If you'll give him the first few minutes of your day and the first few dollars, you pick a time frame, but I challenge you to 30 days because it takes that long to build habits. Just exercise, just engage the discipline, and see if God won't use it to grow your faith big. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.